to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Some of you guys had the opportunity last year and capitalized on that opportunity to come in. We opened our doors to Grace Fellowship here in Sarasota. It's a small fellowship, much like ours. They love Jesus, man. They have just a passion for Christ. And they brought in a speaker and they needed a place to meet. And so we opened up our building to them last year. And the speaker that they brought in, his name was uh, Pastor Stephen Gachenko. And uh, he's a pastor from Kenya, a black fellow that is absolutely awesome I mean I absolutely adore this man's teaching Uh, I've got the teachings from last year here and he has been here for three days and I to my shame did not announce it to us They, they were here Friday he was here Friday Saturday and he's speaking even as we're talking right now I'm bummed because I did not open up that opportunity for you to be able to go and see him it is definitely your loss I I was able to live stream a message last night from him. Uh, my wife actually was able to go. Um, I was preparing for today for the baptism and barbecue that we're going to be having, and uh, so I couldn't go. And uh, I had five pork roasts on the smoker, and uh, I couldn't just walk away and, and, and go. But uh, I started those pork roasts yesterday about 10 o'clock, and they got done about 12.30 last night, uh, or 12.30 this morning. And so um, got done shredding them and everything at about 3.30 this morning so it's going to be good it really if you know Tori came up and he hugged me what we were laughing at over there is he came over and hugged me and he says I just want to smell some of the after effects I said let me I said let me burp in your nose and you'll be able to smell it <laughs> that's what he cracked up about it because it, 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 it's good it's good I'm, I'm, I'm I hope you enjoy it today um it's true southern, true southern food, true southern food. Um, but next year, I think, is Stephen coming back again next year? Most likely he'll be back next year. I will uh, be, definitely I will be announcing it and, and encouraging you, every one of you, highly to go. Because uh, the guy is a, uh, a really, really, really neat and, and great, inspiring uh, Pastor, and uh, um, I, I found out he's actually even uh, uh, he goes to a lot of different Calvaries uh, also, and, and ministers there, and, and what have you. And, and uh, he's just a, a really, really neat pastor. And I'm going to kind of begin uh, today because I think it is was very apropos. As I was sitting there listening to his message last night, there was an illustration that he used that that I think fits very, very well into an introduction to our 1 Corinthians 8 passage. Um, Last week, one thing I don't want you to hear from me last week was anger to a point of hatred. That's not, never was my intent. Um, It it was a spiritual anger um, in, you know, a, a, a church that has, radically changed the doctrine and and is teaching something that is not good it's 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 blasphemous i'm jealous for that i'm jealous for the people um, somebody did come and ask me why why this group well, i mean there's so many groups in sarasota that are absolutely teaching blasphemy why are you not as passionate about them um, well most of those others are are obvious you know, it, it's an obvious, you know, cult, if you will. Um, these, this place is, is a place that my, my heart um, is broken because I have loved ones that go there that used to be a part of this fellowship. And so I, I had a, hopefully it was a righteous anger and that it was never perceived by any of you that I was, had hatred in my heart even for the pastor my heart is that his, he, he would change. Right now, he's not willing to change. Um, he's not willing to uh, listen and, and hear other pastors. Um, and so uh, we just need to continue to pray for them. 
Um, I did use it as an opportunity last week to talk to you and warn you um, about knowing the Word of God. We have to know the Word of God. We just have to know it. In, in a day and age that we're living in right now, so uneasy, there's just no... What seemed to be right is now perceived to be wrong. And that which was, it used to be wrong is now perceived as okay and accepted. And, and it's in that, that that if that's the world that we're living in, how much more should we be ready and able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us? A reason for why we come on a Sunday and open up the Word of God. This is not a social club that we have here. And I know that there are churches that are social clubs. That's what it is. But that was never the intent of Jesus when he created a church. It was not intended to be a social club. In fact, Jesus, as you saw, he said some pretty hard things for people to hear. And in one day, uh, you know, anywhere from five to Fifteen to 20,000. We don't know the exact number. It just says, you know, 5,000 men besides women and children. Uh, so of, of the men, there was 5,000. How many women and children were there? We don't know. So there's at least 5,000 that all walked away from Jesus because he said hard things. And they didn't want to accept it. It was hard for them to accept and, and Jesus, he didn't run after them. He didn't say, oh, you guys have, have misunderstood what I said. You need to come back so I can clarify myself. He didn't do that. He allowed them to walk away. And, and, and then, you know the story. He definitely would not have sold many copies of How to Grow a Church. In, especially in today's day and age. Um, because after everybody was gone and out of earshot, Jesus then speaks his very first words. What do you think his very first words are to his disciples? You know what? Those people just are not spiritual. They don't, they don't love God. They don't love God. And, and they need to leave. He didn't say any of that. He, he, he said to his disciples... So do you guys want to go too? You're welcome to go. That's what he was saying. The, the intent was, hey, you're all welcome to go. You're all welcome to go. And Peter said, where else should we go? There is nowhere else. I, we don't know where else to go. And so here's the thing. A church isn't to be a social club. Sometimes hard things are said. But take them for what they are. Look at a character in the nature of a pastor, I, I would ask that you look at the character and the nature of me. I hope that what you see in me is somebody who has a desperate love for people, has a desperate love for, for mankind to see Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the heart of what we have to be. We have to be, not just as a pastor, but all of us as a congregation, we have to have a heart that wants to see people saved. And, and not one, and, and you're going, where is this going? This is the beginning of the segue into our message today. Not, not in such a way that we look down our nose at anybody else because we think that we have it all covered. That we think that we have it all, all the answers. We don't have all the answers. We know the one who does have all the answers. His name is Jesus, but we don't have all the answers. But... In a, in, a, in, a, in a very weird way, with, with Christ living in us, we do have the answers. They're just in Him. And, and we, we, we need to run to Him. We need to run to Christ. We need to run to the Lord. How do you do that? How do you run to God? You know, I, sometimes you, you know, I use words like this or a pastor or, or a Christian who, who you know, will speak to different people will use words like that. Just run to Christ. And you go, okay, well, I didn't grow up in a church. And what I'm hearing you say is, 
Jesus is invisible. How do you run to somebody who's invisible? Do I like get in my own closet and jog and play? I don't understand. What do you mean by that? The heart behind running to Christ. It's to, it's to look into his word. Who is he? What is he? Why is he? What is it? Is, is he really who he said he was? If he is, what does he say? What does he require of me? What is it that he requires of mankind? What is it that he desires of mankind? What is it that he wants of me? How is it that, that I can become more like him? Because if I understand the word of God correctly, there is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a God. And there is a Satan. They're both very real. They are not equal. This idea that the, the yin-yang symbol... You know, the, the little amoeba, you know, a little round circle with a little tail that goes down here that's black. And then on the bottom, the, 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 you know, a little round circle with a little tail that goes up and forms a complete circle. The yin-yang symbol. One black, one white, both equal, making up the full circle. There's an equal part dark. There's an equal part white. There's an equal tart part evil. There's an equal part good. There's an equal part heaven. There's an equal part hell. That's nothing. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, Satan would like us to think that, wouldn't he? He'd like us to think that he is just as powerful as God. But he's not. He's not. He's, he's a created being. That was Alex and I were talking the other day about, about this subject matter. And, and to think that Lucifer, perfect in his ways, created, he was beautiful. His voice... What you hear from my voice right now is a, a monosyllabic uh, syllable tone. You you hear me speak in a just in a a monosyllabic way. You you hear just a one voice. Now get this for a second. Put this hat on. Lucifer when he spoke. It's as if a whole orchestra opened its mouth, began to play. When he spoke, his, his voice was pluralistic. It was, it was many voices, many instruments. It was beautiful. It was awesome. This is a creation of God. But mind you, he was a creation of God. Ezekiel chapter 28 talks about how you were perfect in all of your ways. In all of your ways. Until iniquity was found in you. And then he was cast out of heaven. What was the iniquity? It was pride. Pride. A created being. You don't have to turn there. You can, but you don't have to. But Isaiah chapter 14, look at what it says here. It says, it says this. Isaiah 14. It says this. <clears throat> Isaiah is written with a dualistic prophetic heart in, in the way that it's written. It's being written to a king. But somewhere along the line, as this king of Babylon is being spoken to, somewhere along the line, as Isaiah is sharing what God's judgment is down upon the king of Babylon, all of a sudden, he begins to, begins to speak otherworldly. He begins to speak in such a way that even the king of Babylon, that the, the actual local king of Babylon could not, these things couldn't be said of him. 
It says, hell from beneath is excited about you. To meet you, it says in verse 9, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 9. Hell from beneath is excited about you. It, it, to meet you at your coming, it stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth that is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations, they also speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp, it's brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments. The voice of Lucifer it's been brought down into hell. The maggot, not to be gross, but to be gross, the maggot is spread under you and the worms will be your blanket. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Okay, wait a minute. We went from the king of Babylon, a judgment being cast down upon the king of Babylon to where now all of a sudden Isaiah begins to go otherworldly. Wait a minute. This can't be spoken of the king of Babylon. This is speaking of the spirit that is behind the king of Babylon. God is actually speaking to the very spirit of the king of Babylon. Yes, there's judgment coming down upon the actual local individual, the actual human being that is the king of Babylon. But God uses Isaiah to speak down deeper into the spirit and the heart behind where he even came up with these ideas in the first place, the king of Babylon. It came from none other than Lucifer. And so God begins to speak first to the king of Babylon and then he begins to bring in and say, hey, I'm going to now speak to the heart behind what has even given you this idea to become as evil as you are, king of Babylon. I'm now going to speak to the spirit that is behind this whole mess that you have created. I'm now going to speak to him by name. I'm going to speak about who he was, where he was, and now what is in front of him. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Is the king of Babylon in heaven? No. Who was in heaven? Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your hearts, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Now listen, before you go on into verse 15, what you see here is five times Lucifer said, I will be, I will be, I will be, I will be, I will be like the most high God. And what Alex and I were kind of scratching our head on is just going, wait a minute, here is a created being that is in the presence of God every single day since he was created. He's seen the glory of the Lord. He's seen the awesomeness of God. And for Lucifer to sit there and go, yeah, I'm a created being, but look at how beautiful I am and look at how influential I am and look at all of the stars which are the angels. I've, I've commanded, I'm commanding a third of the angels in heaven. And they're following me. I'm wonderful. I am, I am beautiful. And my voice is like none other. I am awesome. I can do God's job. Now, now all of a sudden we begin to maybe see our own self kind of creeping out in a little bit of this, don't we? We might look at it and go, well, you know what? There's been times in my life, and I'm going to say in every single life in this room, and maybe in some of your life more often than you would like to admit, where you'd say, you know what? If I were God, this is what I would do. What you're doing is nothing different than what Lucifer did. I will be like the Most High God. I can make better decisions. I can make the same decisions as He does. And, and actually, I can actually make them better. In fact, I'm going to be like, I'm going to take His throne. I'm going to do all these things. What's the, what's the iniquity that was filled up in Lucifer? It was pride. Pride. It was ego. You want to know where the heart or the root of ego is? 
the root of pride. I know our humanistic philosophy that is really being generated and propagated in this United States of America is, hey, think about you first. Think about you. The greatest love of all is easy to see. You know, Whitney Houston have to, had to say, learning to love yourself, it's the greatest love of all. Love me, I love me, I love me, oh, I love me. And, and that's kind of the, the mentality that we have. It's about us. It's about me. If I'm not happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. Because I have got to be entertained. I have got to be, I've got to feel loved. I've got to be, I've got to have a happy heart. I've got to have all these things or else I'm not going to follow the Lord. What you're doing is you're falling right into the same trap as Lucifer. That's called ego. That's called pride. It's something that that for you and I, it, it may be a little harder for us to combat than Lucifer himself. Wait a minute. Harder than Lucifer? Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but I've never ascended into heaven and saw the Lord sitting on his throne. I've not seen it. I've not heard his voice. I've sensed his voice. Maybe I've heard his voice, but I can't actually, honestly, before you say, I actually heard God's voice. And it, it actually has kind of a baritone voice, kind of a baritone kind of a thing to it, you know? He talks like this. And there is a reverberation. I don't know how he does it, but there's a reverberation. I've never heard God's voice audibly. I've heard God's voice within my spirit. Lucifer heard him audibly. He witnessed him physically. He saw God in spirit and in truth. That's what he is. He was in his realm. He was in the realm of heaven. He was walking to and fro in God's presence all the time. What caused him? Where in the world did he ever come up with this idea that he could ever, ever, ever usurp the throne of God? Being a created being, going after an uncreated, awesome God. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet, he did that. And that's what got him kicked out of heaven. Pride. I will be, I will be, I will be. Five times he says, I'll be like the most high God. And then God says to him, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Of hell. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners? Now, I got a little story to tell you on this. Back when uh, my son entered kidney garden, kindergarten, he, uh, he had a ruptured appendix, and it was touch and go. We almost lost him. But he, he was in the hospital, I think, for 10 days. Um, trying to get the poison out, which caused him to miss his very first uh, days of school at Calvary Chapel School, K-4. And so he was a little bit behind, you know, and, and so if you can get behind in K-4, I don't know, you know. <laughs> you got to get catch up in algebra. I don't know, you know, what they're doing today. But, but, you know, somewhere along in that school year, fairly new into that school year, his teacher, uh, Donna, I can't remember Donna's, Benjamin, I was going to say Donna Summers, but I know that's not, you know, that would make just some of us want to sing here. But Donna Benjamin, she, uh, she contacted me and she said, um, Pastor Haskins, I, I have a question that's disturbing me. I said, oh, what's that? And she says, your, your son, Nathan, um, said to me that when he dies, he's going to see Satan. And I go, what? She says, yeah, he says that when, when he dies, he's going to go see Satan. Now, mind you, maybe if for a four-year-old, this theological lesson probably was a little deep. But I started laughing. And I said, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about Isaiah 14. 
I was talking to him how we look at Satan as being so big, bad, and a bully, you know? But there's coming a day when we're going to look at him and we're going to go, you? You are the one that I freaked out my whole life over? You're the one I was so afraid of? You are the one? You're the one? Those who gaze at you will consider and consider you. They'll say, is this the one who shook the kingdoms of the earth, the temple, or made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms and made the world as a wilderness? I said, that's... He was saying that. She's going, so you're saying we're going to see Satan? I said, yeah, I think we probably will. I think we'll have an opportunity to see him for who he really is. And we're going to have one of those V8 moments. I can't believe that I gave him so much of my life in fear. When I have God here and him there, that I, I spent more time worried about him than I did thinking about the Lord. Let it be a lesson for us, guys. We're to be representing the Lord. But it, but it was, you know, Alex and I were just kind of scratching our head, just going, man, to think that Satan, being in the presence of God on a day-by-day basis, he lost it all because of his own ego. It just doesn't make sense. That's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 8. Wow, that was a ways to get to there, but it is. Listen. We can have that same effect in our own life. Where we begin to look down our nose, where we begin to think that we have it all figured out, where we think that we've got it under wraps. We know everything. Look what Paul says. He says, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge. We have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up. It's love that edifies, he says. Look at verse 2 here. Somebody read verse 2 out loud. Someone, just right now, out loud. Chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Out loud. Someone. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. Here's Paul saying, you think you know, he starts pulling this Jim Mora mindset. You think you know, but you don't know. Now, if you're a football player and you've watched football, you'd know that, that, that reference. But here's the thing. You think you know, but you don't know. Paul's saying to these people, these, these Christians here in Corinth, that were beginning to think that they had a superior knowledge, that they had a superior position with the Lord over other peons that are out there. Even if they become Christians, well, we're still over you. He goes, you think you know? You don't know anything. You don't know anything. Because when you or I or any of us ever come to a place where we think that we've advanced so far in our Christianity that we ever have an inkling that we would look down on anyone, you've lost what Christianity is all about. You've lost Christ. You've stopped considering Christ. You begin to consider you. You want to be puffed up. You want to be viewed as something that you are not. I said I'd start with Pastor Stephen, what he said last night. I'm going to very quickly just say it. Pastor Stephen last night, he said something that fascinated me. It fascinated me. I'm going, I don't believe that. I have never seen that. Now, he, he, he speaks with a little bit of an accent, and so he says, I want you to look at uh, uh, Genesis 5. I want to talk about Anak. Anak. And I'm thinking, Anak was like the dad of five giants, Goliath being one of them. He's number one, not found in Genesis 5. And I don't see any spiritual significance that we can get out of Anak. The sons of Anak, Goliath being one of them. Anak was a giant. I'm going, Anak, Anak, Anak. Well, and then he started reading chapter 5, and he was saying Enoch. <laughs> he was saying Enoch. Anak, 
But he said, here's the thing about Enoch. Enoch, I'm going to read it. This is going to freak you out, man. I, I, I hope it does, because it did me. This was really, really cool. Genesis 5. Bear with me for a second. Verse 24 of Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, those of you who've ever read Genesis 5, you know the story. You go, okay, I know what happened. I mean, God took him. It, there's kind of like the first rapture. It's kind of the first taking him up. You know, he was walking with God and then he was not. God, for God took him. God took him. God took him off the earth. Enoch didn't have to suffer death. And many people, there are many theologians that believe that, that deal in prophecy that, that believe that Enoch will actually be one of the two witnesses spoken of in Revelation that will be around in the very last days. That will be standing at the, at the, the wall, the western wall, if you will, in Jerusalem and prophesying. Some people believe that it's, that it's Enoch. Others think that it's Elijah uh, and, and Moses. But some do say that it might be Enoch because the only three people that you never see die. Now Moses dies, but we understand according to the book of Jude that there was a battle over Moses' body. And so Michael contended with Satan over the body of Moses when he died. And so many believe that, that God has a plan for Moses for later on. The other one, Elijah. You remember Elijah being caught up together in the chariot where Elijah was watching Elijah, Elisha, uh, no, Elijah, Elisha on the ground. Why God had to have two guys, prophets, right next to each other with one letter different. You know, it, That's a great story though. But, but here's the thing. To watch Elijah go up into heaven, Elisha is just sitting there just blown away. Here's the thing. Elijah has some characteristics. Moses has some characteristics that are characteristics of the two witnesses. But Enoch, he's an interesting fella. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So God took him. Okay, end of story. God has a plan for him. Okay, that's cool. I've never really looked much deeper than that. Enoch walked with God. And then he was not. He disappeared. This is Pastor Stephen's message. A portion of his message. He walked with God. And then he was no longer there. Because I don't have time to develop this tremendously. Let me just say this. Enoch got so close to God that God took him. He disappeared. The point being, you and I can be much like Enoch today. The more that you draw closer to the Lord, He will draw closer to you. It can be said of me. It can be said of you if your name's Don. Don walked with God and then Don was not. Because it ceased to be about Don. It began to be about God in all things, in in all ways. And for all reasons, it's it's not about me, it's not about you. It's the closer that I follow God, the closer that I draw myself under the Lord, the closer and the, the more that I desire to do His will, the less I am seen as me and I become more like Christ. To where my, my flesh is done away with and God 
his spirit is seen in the world. Now, here's the thing. This is now segueing back again into 1 Corinthians 8. The closer we become with the Lord, the less that we will look down our nose at anyone. The, the less that we will sit here and say, oh, this is just a problem that you have. But I am a Christian. I've been a Christian for quite some time. I don't struggle with things like that. I don't struggle with things offered to idols. That's not, a, that's not a man like Enoch who became so close to the Lord that he lost his identity to the world around him. He disappeared. It was no longer Enoch. They couldn't recognize Enoch. He was gone. Let that be said of you and I, that we become so close to the Lord that they don't recognize us for who we used to be. But they see Jesus. They see Jesus on you. They see Jesus through you. They see you love like Jesus loved. They see you speak like Jesus spoke. They they see you reach out like Jesus reached out and ministered to those who needed ministry. He says, listen, if anyone knows, and I'm back into 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to go through this halfway quick. If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Paul says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Now before I go on, here's the thing. He's saying... We know that an idol is nothing in the world. Here's what, I, here's what Paul is saying. An idol is nothing. An idol is nothing. An idol is nothing. It is, if it's a little statue that you have, that you're bowing down to, it's simply a statue. It's made out of wood or marble or stone. I, I don't know. It's made out of something. But man had to create it. In fact, God kind of comes down on that. He says, listen, you bow down to gods who have eyes, but they cannot see. Ears, but they cannot hear. And mouths, but they cannot speak. You remember the claim to fame that Gideon had. Back in the book of Judges. Where Gideon, to get the the attention of the people, if you will. He knocked down and burned the idol of Baal. And the next morning when people woke up and they saw their idol broken and burned, they were infuriated because their God is broken and burned on the ground. They said, who did this? Well, it was Gideon. Bring him out here because he's going to die. I think it was Gideon's dad says, Hey, let's think for a minute. If Baal is really a god, can't he defend himself over a puny little human being? Let Baal take care of Gideon. And and he squashed the, the rebellion to kill Gideon at the time. The point is, was it a god to them? It was. Paul, Paul makes no bones about it. He goes, you know what? There are many gods and many lords. They're not real. But to some people, they are real. Because they make them real. But in all actuality, they're not real. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one. There aren't many, as some cults will have you to believe... Jehovah's Witnesses think that there's many gods. That Jesus was just a God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They put that little definite art, or that little article in there, definite article in there, saying He was just a God. He wasn't God, He was a God. And they hang their whole theological uh, treatise upon them inserting one little letter that totally takes the heart out of the message. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You go, okay, wait a minute, who's the Word? Well, you just have to move up to verse 14 to find that, because verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And he beheld him, and God beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who's the Word? Well, the Word, we find out from verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. Who became flesh and dwelt among us? It was Jesus. Who can actually fit into the, 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 the Word? Word. <laughs> Who can you exchange? What person's name, what individual's, what king's name can you possibly interchange in John 1 1 and 1 2? In the beginning was Don, and Don was with God, and Don was God. Don was in the beginning with God. Ah, doesn't make sense. In the beginning was. Neo, Napoleon. And Napoleon. I was in Neapolitan. <laughs> Got ice cream on the brain, huh? It's starting to get close, guys. Uh, hey, in the beginning was Napoleon. And Napoleon was with God. And Napoleon was God. Napoleon was in the beginning with God. Doesn't work, does it? And Napoleon became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, and we beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No, 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 we didn't. That doesn't fit. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That fits. It's the only name that you, can, that you can interchange with the word. Word. With the word word. It's the only name. Nobody else's name fits in there. And so if Jesus' name is there, he's God, right? So here's the thing. He's the only God. It's one God. There are not many gods. But Paul says, but in people's lives, they think that there's a God, but there's not really other gods. We know that. Some people just stumble with the idea that there are other gods. One day, they'll know the truth that there is only one God. Hopefully and prayerfully, if we do our job, they will hear about the one true God before their life ends. That they hear and understand that there is only one God. The Father, of whom are all things, and we are for Him, and, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Did you see what that said? Yet for us, there is only one true God, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of my life? It's to bring honor and glory to the Father. It's to bring honor and glory to God. He created you for a purpose, for a plan. And right now, this world is clamoring to try to find some sense of stability, of something to hang their hat on, something to grasp a hold of. I can tell you that what the Word of God says is that God is the sure foundation. It's the only thing that we can hold on to with confidence that has a future and has an end for our end. In verse 7 it says, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. This is where he's saying, you know, we would know that there's only one God, but we know that not in everyone has that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of uh, the idol, until now, they eat things as if it were offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak, 
is defiled. And so here's what I guess was happening there in Corinth is that some people who were now Christians were eating meat that had actually been offered to a fake God, an idol. There isn't really a God. It's just a God of wood or stone, precious metal, whatever it is that people have made to be, but it's not really a God. And this meat was sacrificed unto them and they took a portion of that meat and and here he got a good deal on it. It was a really good porterhouse. Okay, it's a great ribeye. And he took it home. He's going, man, I just didn't have the money to to buy a a, a real, you know, ribeye from the local butcher because they're just so expensive. But those that are offered here to this God over here, they sell the meat cheap. And so I'm going to buy it without anybody really knowing. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to take it home. I'm going to cook up some great, you know, ribeyes for my family. And we're going to sit there and we're going to eat. But all the while that guy is eating, he's sitting there going, oh, I feel so defiled because it was offered to an idol. And and that's what Paul's saying. He's defiled because of it. He says in verse 8, but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we don't eat are we the worse. Saying whether you eat that meat or whether you don't, you're neither better or worse for it. That meat is simply meat. It was offered to an idol. It doesn't matter. The idol isn't real. Be free. Eat the meat. You're welcome to. But then he gives a warning. He says in verse 9, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you sin against them... Before I go on into that verse... Because that that has another point to it. Here's the thing. He's saying, listen, beware. Don't just, because because you know that this meat is, it's fine. Even if it was offered to that idol. But here's this buddy over here that you're saying, hey man, come on over. I got some great steaks. Got them cheap, man. The guy goes, where'd you get them? So cheap. I got them down here at this local, you know, church. You know, not church, but this local, you know, religious temple that offers things to idols. And you know how cheap those things are. And the guy goes, oh, wow. Yeah, I know that they sell cheap. They sell that stuff cheap. But, I mean, aren't we supposed to not eat things offered to idols? I mean, isn't there only one God? Yeah, but you you can do it. It's cool. It's cool. I mean, because you know what? It's not real anyways. Now, if you can win a brother that way and he believes in his whole heart, that's fine. But Paul's saying, here's this guy that is going, yeah, I don't know, man. I feel still feel a little queasy about this. I feel a little unsure about this. Ah, come on. Just eat it, man. Just eat it. Paul's saying, you're defiling that guy. Because of your freedom, because of your liberty, you're causing this guy to go against his, con- his own conscience. God places a high value upon your conscience, by the way. What may be sin for, for you might not be sin for me. You might say, you know what, I don't ever go to the beach because they don't wear clothes down there. And because I don't do it, none of you guys should do it either. I don't eat, you know, you know, uh, you know things with cholesterol in them because it, makes your, it messes up with your blood, messes up with your body. And so I don't want anybody else to eat that. Do you ever have that person that goes on a diet in your family? You know, they're usually the biggest person. They go on a diet and all of a sudden they want you to eat what they eat. And they're eating like, like, like grass <laughs> and lettuce. Going, you guys got to eat this way. Yeah, I don't want to eat that way. I don't want to eat that way. No, I'm good. I'm good. And, and yet they, they, they make you feel guilty. Oh, do you know, how much, you know how many carbohydrates are in that piece of pizza right there? Yeah, dude, you ate a lot of that pizza. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that person is just constantly hammering you about, about his convictions. God, God, God looks at our convictions as being something of value. If it's wrong for you to do, don't do it until the Lord gives you freedom, until the Lord sets you free. Don't go down those roads and do the things that everybody else might be doing. Go before the Lord and make sure, God, is this cool? Is this okay? Is this all right for me to do? And as the Lord gives you a green light and you understand, you know what? It does just make sense. You know what? It was offered to this idol, but there there is no idol. It's just a piece of wood that they put eyes and ears and a mouth on. It's not really an idol. It's just a neat carved piece of wood. I can eat that food. It's not a big deal. Lord, thank you for this liberty. And man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into that ribeye. And now you're not defiled. But if you break your conscience, if you go against your conscience, the Lord's saying, that's not good. And if you are a Christian, you don't force your conscience on someone else because you have become so knowledgeable, because you have, you have become so elevated in your spiritual walk, because you're so much more advanced in your Christianity. God's saying, I want you to look at the people that you are dealing with on a day-by-day basis, even young believers, and I want you to treat them with care. Because you know what? This life is not about that porterhouse you're sticking in your mouth. This life is about ministering to that one who has a weak conscience right now. It's not about you anymore. Walk with God and you disappear so that I can be seen. Don't be a stumbling block to these people just because you think you have liberty in that. And you do have liberty. Just don't do it in front of people that, that it defiles their conscience. Because you're causing them to sin. And you're causing them to grapple with this issue in their life of, Oh man, I've so disappointed the Lord. Because of that guy over there who says he's a Christian, now you've just caused disruption in the body. Look what Paul says. If anyone sees you who has knowledge, verse 10, eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Here's what he's saying. You're not being Christ to them. You're being you to them. They don't need to see you. They need to see me. That's what Paul's trying to get into yours in my head. People don't need to see you. They need to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Does that make sense? Therefore, if food makes my... Look, here's his conclusion. Here's Paul's conclusion. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'm never going to eat. I will... Do you hear what he says? I will never eat meat lest I make my... Uh, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Here's a man who's trying to take after Enoch. I'm going to walk with God so that all of a sudden who I used to be is no longer visible. But who people see is Jesus. Gang, that's who we are to be. Don't ever take the liberty that you have in Christ and lord it over anyone because the moment you do that, you stop being Christ-like and you become adamantly self-grandizing. Help me with that word. Grandiose, no? Grandizing. Self-grandizing. Thank you, Steve. You become self-grandizing. You become self-promoting. And you know what? It didn't work with Lucifer. And it isn't going to work with you. Let's live our lives for the Lord. Let's live our life for Christ. Let's love the people so much that even if we have to give up something in order to keep them right with the Lord... It's really not that big of a deal. It's really not that big of a deal. That's what Paul says. I, this is how much meat means to me. I love meat. But you know what? If it's going to cause one of my brothers to stumble, I will never again eat meat. Is he saying I'll, he'll never eat meat ever again in anywhere? 
No, I believe that what he's saying, I'm not going to eat it in their presence ever again. I'm going to go somewhere where they don't even know where I'm at. I'm not going to do it. You might go, well, I, we don't really have that kind of a thing today. Well, let's look at just alcohol, for instance. You know, you might sit here and look at alcohol and go, you know what, I've got a freedom to drink alcohol. There's some that think they have a freedom to drink alcohol, but you have a conviction in your heart and you're going, yeah, probably shouldn't be doing it, but I am because I think that I have liberty in it. But I, you know, I always have a tinge of guilt before the Lord. You know what? To you, that's a sin. You need to stop it until the Lord gives you an absolute freedom to do it. But here's the thing. For you to sit here and try to force somebody else to go against their convictions, to drink a beer with you or to drink a glass of wine with you, even though they don't, they don't feel that it's right, that to you is self-grandizing. Look at me. Don't look at Christ. And you, you begin to, to, to elevate yourself above Christ. You're not following after Christ. You're following after Lucifer, who got kicked out of heaven. Be careful. Be careful. We've got to be more concerned about what Christ wants in our life than, than what we think we have a freedom of doing or what other don't force your convictions on anybody else you just live Jesus you live Jesus and let Jesus do the work in the people amen does that make sense father thank you so much for today and as we've worked our way through this passage I pray God that if there's one thing that we have walked out of here with the the nugget it's that God we can walk with you in such a way That who we used to be begins to disappear. And the longer we walk with you and live our life for you and surrender our life and our wants and our desires, all of who we, who we are, we surrender our liberties to you. May we follow you in such a way that when someone looks upon our life, They no longer see who we used to be, but they now see you, Jesus. Because that's what it's about. May we follow you, O Lord. May our life so resemble yours that like the woman who took that costly alabaster flask of fragrant perfume and broke it, and anointed the feet of Jesus, of you, Lord. And then wiped the perfume from your feet, Lord, with her hair. There was only two people that walked out of that room smelling the same. It was you, Jesus, and her. Because she spent time with you. Lord, may we Walk with your fragrance, Lord, because we spend time with you. May we live for you. May we do the things that you desire out of our life. May we not rest in just our liberties, but God, we seek in our liberties, we seek your face and ask God, is this okay? Is this all right? I have a liberty to do this, I know, Lord, because there is no idols out there. I'm living for you and I have a freedom to do all things. But Lord, is what I'm about to do, is it going to offend anyone? If so, then Lord, I, I would rather not do it. I would rather just live for you. I would rather them see you, Jesus, than them see me living in my liberty. Lord, We lift up our lives to you. And I pray, God, that if this has spoken to even one person in this room, maybe, Lord, this is something that's going to set someone free today. I pray, God, that you meet them, that they surrender their life to you. Almost almost as big of a day as the day that they gave their heart to you.
Lord, I remember hearing the two greatest days in a person's life is the day that they were born an even greater day was the day that they learned why what is the purpose of my life it is to bring you glory O Lord may I step out of the way may we step out of the way that you would be seen in our life and people stop looking at us they start seeing you Jesus We lift our lives to you. I lift up my brothers and sisters to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.